The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 300 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is Buddhist psychotherapy and post-traumatic disorder. Post-traumatic disorder occurs when someone experiences an event which is so unexpected and so emotionally shattering that it continues to have serious effects on them long after any physical or other danger has passed. Persons with this kind of experience may relive the events that caused them that's the person's intense fear and horror through flashbacks and nightmares, and they may become what's called emotionally frozen. And when they remain in this state for more than a month, their condition is diagnosed as post-traumatic stress disorder. And post-traumatic stress disorder occurs in children as well as adults. Post-traumatic stress disorder can become so severe that the individual finds it difficult or even impossible to lead a normal life, which creates great difficulties for families and family caregivers. Which is why our topic, Buddhist psychotherapy and post-traumatic disorder, is so important. To discuss it, our guests are David Milosevic and Ruan Jiatunga. David has been a practicing Buddhist for nearly 10 years. He maintains a daily meditation practice and provides meditation instruction for others. He follows a particular tradition of Tibetan Buddhism, the lineage headed by His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama of Tibet. He took refuge vows with the Lama Zopa Rinpoche in Nepal in 2005. He's been on meditation retreats in Kathmandu, Nepal, and in Bogaya, India, the site where the Buddha is said to have reached enlightenment. He intended the 10-day Kalashakra initiation given by His Holiness the Dalai Lama in Washington, D.C. in July of 2011. Ruan graduated as a physician at Ukraine's Vinnytsitsa National Memorial University and then joined the government of Sri Lanka. In Sri Lanka, he worked closely with war veterans and civilians affected by the war. He studied in considerable depth the impact of war-related post-traumatic stress disorder, and he became one of the pioneers in the study of the psychosocial effects of post-traumatic stress disorder in Sri Lanka. 
He's written several books and published several research articles that describe the war trauma in Sri Lanka. And in 2006, he visited the US where he delivered several lectures on war trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder. So welcome to the show, David Ruan. Thank you very much, Gordon. Pleasure to be with you. Great. Now, David, let's start with you. Please tell us more about your career and any involvement you've had with family caregiving. David? Yes. Uh, well, I'm a lawyer by profession, Gordon. Uh, in particular, I practice uh, litigation, commercial litigation, uh, which means that I go to court and argue cases on behalf of clients. Uh, as you can imagine, that is uh, a fairly high-conflict uh, profession to be engaged in. And uh, Buddhist practice, which we'll get into more detail in and the uh, basic principles of it, uh, does help me deal with that high-conflict environment and approach it in a way that I think is uh, constructive uh, for me and for the people that I deal with. Uh, in terms of family caregiving, that's, I think, a topic uh, Ruan is going to be uh, more competent to give information about. Uh, my own personal involvement has been confined to uh, family members. Uh, I had a grandmother who passed away fairly recently and my father as well. And both of them were suffering from various degrees of dementia in the time before their death. And uh, Buddhist practice did allow me to gain some more understanding than I think I would have had otherwise into their condition and to be able to relate to them uh, as well as I could, uh, given their condition, uh, than I would have been able to otherwise. So uh, practice allowed me to do both of those things, both in a career perspective and personally with family members who are suffering. Right. Now, Ruan, please tell us more about your career and any involvement you've had with family caregiving. That is either personal involvement or professional involvement. Ruan? I'm a registered social service worker in Ontario uh, and a registered EMDR therapist in Canada. Uh, and I did my social service worker diploma at Seneca College. Uh, while doing my uh, placement, uh, I worked in a caregiving agency uh, providing psychosocial care for seniors. So uh, this opportunity helped me to work with clients and uh, their family members and caregivers. So. Uh, it helped me to uh, broaden my horizon and uh, directly work with the family caregiving agencies. Right. Now, back to you, David. Please tell us more about the role of Buddhism in your life. David? Yes. Well, I would say it occupies a central role in my life in the sense that it provides a touchstone uh, Buddhist practice is based on developing mindfulness, mindfulness of one's own thought processes, uh, emotions, responses to the environment. Practice allows a person to become centered in a world that for most of us is uh, fairly chaotic, uh, that uh, confronts us with many challenges and struggles on a daily basis. And what most of us, I think, find is that uh, we respond strongly emotionally, either positively or negatively, uh, to those daily challenges, sometimes too strongly, leading to depression. With uh, a daily practice and a daily meditation practice, it provides me with a center 
So regardless of the flux of events that is occurring around me, uh, I have a center to go to, a touchstone, uh, where it allows me to gain more perspective on daily events, to uh, understand my responses to those events, and to moderate those responses. And by having some balance in my own mind and an ability to moderate my responses, that gives me greater happiness, a greater freedom, uh, less uh, fluctuation emotionally to the ups and downs uh, that life confronts me with. Right. Ron, please tell us about the role of Buddhism in your life. Ron? Uh, I started reading about Buddhism uh, several decades ago. Uh, also, I had the opportunity of, uh, of listening to some of the Buddhist scholars like uh, Professor Ninian Smart and Reverend uh, Ajahn Brahmavanso. Uh, Professor Ninian Smart uh, was the Vice Chancellor of the University of Lancaster, and he had a profound knowledge in Buddhism. And uh, I used to listen to uh, uh, some of his lectures. And uh, Reverend Ajahn Brahmavanso is a British monk. Now he lives in Australia, and he's a very uh, inspirational character. So uh, listening to uh, these scholars, I started reading uh, Buddhism uh, very, very analytically. Uh, and I found an immense therapeutic value in Buddhism because being a physician and also working with uh, clients, I found that uh, Buddhist philosophy has uh, much of uh, essences relating to uh, psych- psychotherapy. So uh, it made me to study and uh, discuss uh, about these uh, Buddhistic values and therapeutic values further. Right. Now, David, I'd like to go back to you. Is it correct for me to say that Buddhism is a spirituality. Is that a correct way of expressing things? David? That's a good question, Gordon. Uh, I think that's a a live debate, and uh, many practicing Buddhists, uh, scholars of religion, have different opinions on that. Um, Some say it is uh, an ethical system, a system, a philosophical system. Uh, Others call it a a spiritual system. The way that I've approached it myself is it is a system of ethical development and mind training. Mind training is a key component of Buddhism, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. Um, I think when both are combined, an ethical system and a personal development and training, uh, that does touch upon spirituality inevitably. Um, But it is a live question, and I'm certain, I certainly can't answer it for you one way or the other, just to let you know that there is a debate about the definition that way. Interesting. Ruan, how do you see that question? How, do you view Buddhism in your own life and also in your professional world as, an, as a, a form of spirituality? Ruan? Uh, actually, spirituality has a deep meaning in Buddhism. Uh, Buddhism does not include the idea of worshipping a creator god or other spirit, uh, supernatural force or to have blind faith. And uh, according to Buddhism, uh, developing compassion through moral behavior, spirituality can be enhanced. It is an ongoing process. Uh, spirituality is a guiding force and it has to move forward. In other words, uh, developing wisdom through mental cultivation one can move forward. 
Dr. Gordon, I would like to give one example. Like probably you may have seen the movie The Wolf of Wall Street. The guy has oh, yes. money, power, luxury, houses, extravagant cars, etc. But he lacks something. That's spirituality. So lack of spirituality creates a deep void and utter chaos in his life. So that's how I, uh, in, in simple words, I would define this as spirituality in Buddhism. Now, let me just very quickly say to you both, it seems to me that what you're describing is um, a way of perceiving life um, and a way of perceiving the role of Buddhism in helping with the life the challenges of that life and the results of the challenges of that life. Now, just very quickly, David, have I got that more or less right from what you've been saying? Yes, I think that's an excellent summation, Gordon. Okay. Ron, are you comfortable with my summation yeah. in that way? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, what we're going to do now is to take the break because this is a very good moment um, for us to, uh, I like to say, pay the rent that is to say we have to go into a commercial break but we've reached a point where we're ready for the next segment so i'd like to get the uh, break out of the way and so we'll take it now this is um, dr gordon atherley and my guests are david milosevic and ruan jiatunga you're listening to family caregivers unite on the voice america variety and empowerment channels and cjmp 90.1 community radio for palm river please stay with us we will be back streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com There are over 140 million products manufactured worldwide. It is impossible to know the ingredients in these products, especially those made overseas. Stan Salat, Jr., President and CEO of the HSF Mark and the Counterfeit Mark Alliance, is the host of People to People, working together for your safety. Stan believes in our right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in consumer products and whether they are counterfeit. Find out how you can protect yourself every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. 
Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and David Milosevic and Ruan Jayatunga. Our topic is Buddhist psychotherapy and post-traumatic disorder. Now, both of you, let's highlight the key principles of Buddhism, the types of challenges created by post-traumatic stress disorder, and how Buddhism relates to these challenges. So first of all, David, you've already said a lot about Buddhism and its principles, but I'd like you to just highlight them in the light of the questions that we're going to be talking about, the way in which they relate to particular types of challenges. David, key principles of Buddhism, please. Certainly, uh, that's a little bit challenging to distill the principles of any religion, but on the most general level, uh, Buddhism is about three things. It's about a practice of morality, and there's a specific uh, path called the Eightfold Noble Path, which lays out what those practices of morality are. They have to do with right livelihood, right intention, cultivating mindfulness. Uh, on the second uh, issue, it's a development of mindfulness to develop, as I was speaking of earlier, an, an awareness of one's thoughts and one's behavior. And third, it's to develop an understanding of uh, the nature of reality according to Buddhist logic and Buddhist epistemology. So these are on the most general level, practice of morality, development of mindfulness, developing an understanding of morality. Doctrinally, uh, Buddhism is based on what are called the uh, Four Noble Truths. And these are the four truths that uh, the Buddha preached after uh, attaining enlightenment. And those Four Noble Truths sound quite simple. Uh, They are the truth of suffering, that all of life is suffering. We're all going to age, get sick, and die. Uh, There's also the principle that uh, there is a way to end that suffering. There's a cause for that suffering. And we need to understand what that cause is. Uh, That cause, according to Buddhism, is the fact that we are all very attached uh, to certain things. We have strong desire. As Rowan was talking about the wolf of Wall Street, that strong desire for things in life. And on the other hand, we also have strong aversion or hatred for other things. On the third part of the Four Noble Truths is that there is a way to end suffering. And the fourth noble truth is to follow the path to end that suffering. So doctrinally, uh, Buddhism is based on those four noble truths. And the uh, noble truth of uh, the truth of suffering is the first one that people need to realize in order to begin that process of emancipating themselves from that suffering. Right. Now, Ruan, please highlight the types of challenges that post-traumatic stress disorder creates for individuals who live with it and for their families. Please highlight those. John, Ron? The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or we call it uh, DSM, uh, describes post-traumatic stress disorder as an anxiety disorder. Anxiety is a vague feeling, a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease. Uh, so there are a number of challenges experienced by people with post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, mainly they have symptoms of intrusive memories uh, like flashbacks or reliving the traumatic event, upsetting dreams about the traumatic event. They have symptoms of avoidance and emotional numbing, uh, hopelessness about the future, 
memory problems, trouble concentrating, uh, relationship problems, anger issues, guilt, etc. Also, they have startling reactions, hyperarousal. These symptoms uh, profoundly affect their functionality. Also, it impacts their uh, families, their family caregivers in huge proportions. A person diagnosed with PTSD can go into uh, negative stress coping methods such as alcohol abuse or drug abuse. In addition, anger, negativity, hostility, social isolation, uh, severe addiction problems impact uh, family members as well as caregivers. Uh, of course, it can cause uh, a caregiver burden. Uh, and it's important to know that these factors are caused by the ailment and not by the person. Uh, therefore, to treat the person with respect and empathy is essential, despite the, this negativity created by the uh, psychological ailment. Right. Now, David, and this I know is, a, is a asking a question of a great breadth, but... Let's ask it. How do the principles of Buddhism relate to the types of challenges that Ruan has just described for us? David? Sure. Well, I think they uh, relate uh, directly. If uh, we go back to those three general principles that I spoke of, practice of morality, of mindfulness, and developing an understanding of reality, uh, each one of these can assist a person who is facing challenges as a result of their response to a particular situation. Uh, to give uh, just a very basic example, uh, everything that we respond to in our lives, all external stimuli, on a, on a Buddhist view, all external stimuli that we respond to, uh, the problem happens to be that we respond to these stimuli uh, without moderation. We either respond too strongly, positively, or negatively, and this is what leads to mental disturbance. So, for example, um, just to give a, a banal example, we can see a, a nice car on the street. In and of itself, there's nothing inherently about that car that makes it a wonderful object. It's metal, it's wheels, it's an engine. But if it's a particular type of car, we might respond to it with strong desire, strong attachment. We need to have that car. We're only going to be happy if we have that car. It's going to give us a place in society of respect if we have that car. We invest it with all of these attributes. In the same way, uh, negative events can happen in our lives or events that we think are negative. And because of the way we respond to them, we consider them cataclysmic. We over-respond to them. We think that they've destroyed every hope of happiness we can, they, we can have in our lives. So from a Buddhist point of view, a development of mindfulness, for example, where a person sits and meditates and begins to notice the effect certain stimuli are having on the mind and the emotions is a starting place to recognize that one can control those effects, can moderate them, can develop a more realistic view. When a person has taken the time to calm their mind, to begin to notice how their mind responds to stimuli, the person can then go deeper in a Buddhist view and develop a clearer understanding of the nature of reality. Uh, that's a topic that is uh, a far-flung topic that brings into uh, play a couple of thousand years of uh, Hindu and Buddhist philosophy that we can't touch upon here, uh, but it is a process of understanding that reality comes to us on a 
bare level, so to speak. It's not invested with good and bad, that we do that investing. And by recognizing that, the person begins to emancipate themselves from their own suffering based on their reactions to external events. Right. Now, back to you, Ruan. In your experience in Sri Lanka as a, as a physician caring for people affected by post-traumatic stress disorder, how did Buddhism help those people? Ruan? In my clinical practice in the past, I used Buddhist psychotherapy to treat uh, Sri Lankan combatants with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, several prominent Buddhist monks uh, of the Sri Lanka Vipassana Meditation Center in Colombo helped us, and I'm happy to state that many of these individuals with uh, severe PTSD symptoms were able to control their negative symptoms and enhance their functionality. Uh, so Buddhist psychotherapy, it's an uh, evidence-based uh, psychotherapeutic module. Uh, recent research has highlighted the importance of Buddhist psychotherapy in the treatment of PTSD and in depression. Uh, Buddhist psychotherapy mainly deals with self-knowledge, thoughts, feelings, and actions to minimize the psychological distress. Uh, so according to a Buddhist point of view, suffering is not caused by external traumatic events, but uh, qualities of mind which shape our perceptions and responses to events. These same words were repeated by the psychologist Albert Elias in 1953 when he introduced his action-oriented psychotherapeutic approach, rational emotive therapy. So we see a powerful CBT or cognitive behavior therapy component in Buddhist psychotherapy. Uh, CBT or cognitive behavior therapy is widely being used to treat PTSD today. And as David mentioned, meditation to help uh, our former patients. So uh, meditation is a stress break and it's indicated in many anxiety disorders. Uh, meditation is a synchronized body-mind technique, and it constitutes uh, uh, effort that helps transforming the mind. And there are a number of uh, Buddhist uh, meditation systems that we incorporated, uh, such as mindfulness meditation, and which is really uh, indicated in post-traumatic stress disorder. The concept of mindfulness is based on uh, vipassana, uh, which is a Buddhist meditation technique. Uh, mindfulness has been described as the practice of learning to focus attention on moment-by-moment -moment experience with an attitude of curiosity, openness, and acceptance. And also we used the mindfulness breathing, or which is called anapanasati meditation. Uh, that's very effective to tackle anxiety-related symptoms in PTSD patients. So mindfulness breathing increases oxygen intake and has a stress-reducing impact. And also we used uh, the meditation of loving-kindness or metta meditation uh, because uh, many of these combatants, they have negative symptoms, uh, a lot of guilt, anger, issues were associated with their uh, 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 day-to-day experiences. So uh, loving-kindness meditation helps them to uh, grow forward. And uh, 
feelings of kindness and compassion for self and others. So people right. with PTSD have a lot of anger issues and loving uh, uh, and loving kind of meditation helps to combat negative feelings such as anger and self-loathing. And Rohan, I'm sorry to do this to you, and I'm going to stop you now because we have to take the break, but you're going to be talking more about these things in the next segment. So let's take the break now, and then we'll come back to the things, the very important things you're talking about. So let's take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are David Milosevic and Ruan Jayatunga. Listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you ever just ask why? If others, especially children, ask you the same question, how do you answer? Is life a whole bunch of questions just waiting for the right answer? When you tune in to The Mickey Ellison Show, you'll find out how to find the answers and open up so many more questions as you do. At what point in our lives did we stop answering the why questions and just settle for whatever answer we've been programmed to settle for? Never stop asking why. Join Mickey Ellison every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. Voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and David Milosevic and Juan Jayatunga. Our topic is Buddhist psychotherapy and post-traumatic disorder. Now, I want to both to explain psychotherapy and Buddhist psychotherapy and the way these are used to help with challenges associated with mental illnesses generally. Um, so let's start with Rowan, first of all. You've already mentioned quite a lot about psychotherapy, but please talk a little more generally about psychotherapy and how it's used with the challenges created for individuals with mental illnesses that are very troublesome for them. So what is psychotherapy in detail? Ruan? Uh, psychotherapy is uh, generally defined as a means the treatment of emotional, behavioral, personality disorders based on uh, primarily 
upon verbal or non-verbal communication. Uh, psychotherapy helps in a number of psychological ailments, including PTSD. It is a powerful therapeutic method that can be used to help people with emotional difficulties. It facilitates problem solving, uh, provides insight, and uh, relieves stress and tension. And uh, psychotherapy helps to formulate uh, rational solutions. So there are several types of psychotherapies, as you know, psychodynamic psychotherapy, cognitive behavior therapy, existential psychotherapy, gestalt psychotherapy. So Buddhist psychotherapy is something specific. Actually, uh, in Buddhist psychotherapy, I see there are a lot of components of each and every uh, therapeutic module that I just described. Right. Now, I'm just going to stop you there only because I'm going to ask you in a moment a question specifically about Buddhist psychotherapy. So let me just go to David now and ask him this. In situations in which mental illnesses create challenges for people brought into the justice system or systems, what use is made of psychotherapy? Well, I think the short answer is uh, not enough. Uh, there'd be a distinction, Gordon, in uh, the criminal justice system and people who are involved in the civil justice system, which I work in more. In the criminal justice system, there is uh, something called mental health diversion, and that allows for low-level offenses uh, committed by people who are thought to have uh, a mental health issue, and that initial determination is made by an arresting officer who has a suspicion that a person may have a mental health issue, that person can be diverted into a mental health court. Or uh, if a person is charged in a regular court and a mental health issue uh, appears, that person can be diverted into mental health treatment as opposed to being incarcerated. Uh, that mental health court and that mental health system uh, is uh, significantly overworked and uh, provides uh, generally only basic uh, care for the individuals involved. Um, in Canada, of course, under uh, in, under the criminal code, uh, people accused uh, of more serious offenses can plead that they're not criminally responsible by reason of mental defect, and that's dealt with more in the trial system. Both uh, in both cases, uh, the resources are they're there, but they're overworked, and they would need to be greatly expanded uh, politically. The uh, will to do that is not high, especially as we've seen with the Harper government, this uh, get-tough-on-crime approach, which garners a lot of votes but doesn't allow for the expansion of programs. They're thought to be soft on criminals by expanding uh, these types of resources, and that's a whole political argument. Uh, I think the problem is uh, arguably even more acute in the civil justice system uh, because in the civil system, uh, the system attracts a lot of people with mental health issues and they uh, commence all types of litigation as a way to resolve personal issues, uh, deal with um, difficulties they have with others. Uh, so they start litigation and it really bogs down the system. The system is overworked as it is. Delays in the system are inordinate. And when you have people that are starting, in some cases, dozens of lawsuits in order to deal with mental health issues, uh, that makes it more difficult for everybody. But unfortunately, in the civil system, apart from having a person declared what's called a vexatious litigant, which prevents them from being, being able to commence litigation again, 
and that substantially limits their rights. Uh, apart from that, which is a last resort, there really is not very much available in the civil system. Okay. Now, Ruan, uh, you've begun to tell us about Buddhist psychotherapy, and I want you to tell us more, and in particular to, to tell us how it's used to help with the challenges created for individuals with mental illness. And you've already mentioned some of those challenges, but please put that all together as a picture of how Buddhist psychotherapy is actually used. Ruan? Uh, Buddhism is a religion that deeply discusses uh, human mental process, uh, human mind has a special place on Buddhist philosophy, and it has gone in depth to analyze the human mind. Uh, Buddhist psychotherapy is based on the Buddhist model of uh, cause of mental suffering and uh, deals with self-knowledge, thoughts, feelings, and uh, actions to minimize the psychological distress. Uh, so we see Buddhist psychotherapy is uh, it's holistic. Uh, it addresses uh, a large spectrum. Buddhist psychotherapy has become a major complementary therapeutic strategy in mental health, and recent research has highlighted the importance of Buddhist psychotherapy in the treatment of depression, anxiety disorders, uh, fictitious disorders, uh, addiction disorders, uh, medically unexplained symptoms, and various other psychological ailments. So uh, this is a form of holistic, robust uh, therapeutic module. Now, I'm going to go back to, to David and ask you, David, what role you see for Buddhist psychotherapy to help with the challenges for people whose mental illnesses have brought them into the justice system or who, following on what you said, have taken themselves into the justice system? What role do you see for Buddhist psychotherapy in those situations? David? Yeah, that's a difficult question, Gordon. Uh, any type of uh, treatment that would be available to people uh, would be beneficial, Buddhist or otherwise. Um, for people who are getting involved in the civil litigation system and who are resolving their personal issues through uh, commencing litigation, there's little that can be done. Um, one can't compel someone to seek treatment, and in a civil system, there are just no mechanisms to um, highlight that possibility for people or to provide that option. That's just not what the civil system is about. Um, in the criminal system, the diversionary programs that are available for people uh, could highlight meditation techniques. Those could be very useful for people who are struggling. And uh, perhaps uh, in the next segment, I think we'll discuss a little bit more what uh, programs uh, or what types of programs might be available. Um, really, I think Rwan is a little bit more qualified to see uh, to discuss what types of uh, therapeutic approaches might be available, but right now in the way that the system is structured, uh, there just isn't a place to fit that in, uh, specifically where you're talking about once people are in that system. Right. Now, Ruan, to what extent is Buddhist psychotherapy accepted and recognized within the healthcare system as it is in Canada, in the US, that is to say, as it is in North America? How far is Buddhist psychotherapy accepted and recognized. Ruan? Uh, indeed, it plays a major role in uh, worldwide psychotherapy uh, because uh, Buddhist concepts have profound influence on 
Western uh, psychotherapy. The uh, modern mental health clinicians have found incomparable therapeutic efficacy in Buddhist psychotherapy. And uh, renowned psychologists like uh, William James, uh, Carl Jung, and Eric Fromm saw much of value in Buddhist uh, philosophy and uh, its positive impact on mental health. Uh, so Buddhism and Western uh, psychology often overlap in theory and in practice. Uh, so uh, uh, Buddhist psychology is increasingly uh, informing psychotherapeutic practice in the Western world. And over the last century, experts have written so many commonalities between Buddhism and various branches of modern Western psychology, like phenomenological psychology, psychoanalytical uh, psychotherapy, humanistic psychology, cognitive psychology, and existential psychology. Uh, therefore, increased recognition of the role of Buddhist psychotherapy in Canadian mental uh, mental health care is vital, so I'm addressing the Camp Match and other organizations to adopt some of the uh, Buddhistic psychotherapeutic methods to treat people with uh, mental health issues. Now, I'm going to go back to David just on this particular point. Um, sometimes there's a sense that the people who are running a system need the education and not just the people who are in the system receiving being cared for or being involved in something like the mental health care system or the justice system. Um, David, do lawyers generally need, do you think, more involvement, more understanding of what Buddhist psychotherapy can do in certain situations at least? David? Uh, I think it would help uh, for lawyers. Uh, the lawyers are the front line between the public and the justice system. Uh, so I think it would help for lawyers. Uh, I think even more so it would help uh, from the point of view of uh, institutional design. So, for example, from the Attorney General's office on downwards, certain programs are approved that um, generally are looked at for their cost effectiveness. So mental health diversion wasn't necessarily created simply to relieve the suffering of people with mental health issues, but was a recognition that individuals with mental health issues were overrepresented in the system and that it was in, uh, leading to uh, increase of cost to deal with people with these issues. They would be repeated uh, so to speak, customers or clients of the system. So um, by recognizing that we could put in place programs that would assist individuals who have come into the system to begin to address their problems on their own, to empower them to be able to address their own problems, and not just simply be clients of the system, would I think reduce the costs and at the same time benefit those individuals. So uh, spreading programs that taught meditation, uh, that taught people mindfulness techniques so that they could respond to their own anger in a controlled way that doesn't lead to criminal activity, but they could sit and meditate and deal with anger. It would reduce the incidence of those uh, of violent crime, for example, um, drug use to self-medicate to overcome depression. So uh, putting in place programs like that, I think, would be uh, beneficial across the system, but that would require a significant amount of uh, education, and I think we're uh, some years away from that. I think the trajectory is in that direction. I think socially we're becoming more aware of the beneficial effects of mindfulness practice, 
But I right. think we're some years away from that percolating uh, into the system itself. Okay. Now, at that point, we're going to take the break because in the next segment, we're going to talk about things that you both feel should be done. So, this is Dr. Gordon Adley. My guests are David Milosevic and Ron Jotunga. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Have you been struggling to rediscover your sexual life? How do relationships really work? Are there some topics that should be off the table? Listen for Love, Sex, and Communication with host Reverend Dr. Stuart Block. Dr. Block has spent decades helping adults to have more pleasure, satisfaction, and higher levels of communication. It can mean more pleasurable, caring relationships. Love, Sex, and Communication can be heard live every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and David Milosevic and Ruan Jayatunga. Our topic is Buddhist psychotherapy and post-traumatic disorder. Now, both of you, let's talk about the things you would like to do and you would like to see done to bring the help of Buddhist psychotherapy to more people experiencing experiencing the challenges you've identified, the challenges we've been talking about. So with starting with you, David, first, what more would you like to do to bring the help of Buddhist psychotherapy to more people experiencing the type of challenges you've spoken about, especially in the justice systems? Yes, David? Gordon. Well, uh, what I would like to see is I'd like to see certain programs that we were just speaking about, the lack of programs. I would like to see certain programs expanded. And in this regard, there are some positive indications. Um, there is uh, the John Howard Society, and this is a society that advocates on behalf of prisoner rights. 
Now, this comes a little bit later in the process. This comes when people are already incarcerated, and unfortunately, there isn't much, as we were speaking of earlier, um, earlier in the process, which where it would be more helpful, perhaps. But once people are incarcerated, the John Howard Society, they have a program that they started. It's called uh, Freeing the Human Spirit. It was started by uh, a nun, uh, a, I believe her name was uh, McInnes, and uh, she started this program to teach uh, meditation to prisoners. And at the time she started this, this was back oh, about 2001 or so, she had a lot of uh, opposition to it in Ottawa. Uh, people didn't want to uh, spread it through the system. I, I recall the Conservative Party here in Ontario called it a, a perk for prisoners and uh, uh, Tim Hudak at the time called it a warped priority, um, but it's an excellent idea, and it teaches uh, prisoners the benefits of meditation. And uh, this actually recently uh, is now being spread by the John Howard Society throughout uh, Canada. They're right. uh, behind this program now, and it reduces violence in prison. Uh, it reduces recidivism of prisoners once they're released, and of course, just is to the benefit of people dealing with their own suffering while they're in prison. David, sorry, I know I'm being rude. Just because time's a bit short, I'm going to stop you there, but you will be coming back to this question in a different way. Now, Ruan, what more would you like to do to bring the help of Buddhist psychotherapy to more people experiencing the types of challenges you've been talking about? Ruan? Uh, Buddhist psychotherapy, it... Uh deals with uh, human mind and its pathological and non-pathological segments. So uh, when Freud brought his uh, psychoanalytic psychotherapy, there was a major criticism that uh, it uh, came with a sick psychology. But in Buddhist psychotherapy, they uh, talk about the uh, healthy segment and as well as the unhealthy uh, segment. So it's more complete and more holistic. And uh, Buddhism, rather than a religion, it's a practical uh, philosophy. Actually, uh, these words were uh, told by uh, Professor Ninian Smart once, uh, 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 many years ago. And uh, Buddhism believes that every person has social, biological, and spiritual dimensions. So there should be an appropriate balance, equilibrium in these three dimensions. Uh, and also, uh, what's wonderful about Buddhist psychotherapy and, uh, is it has no dogma or religious barriers or compulsory conversions, etc. So even practicing your own religion without losing your uh, cultural identity, you can incorporate some of the unique treatment uh, modalities uh, uh, that have been introduced in Buddhist psychotherapy. So as David suggested, uh, uh, giving uh, uh, conducting these uh, meditation program for the prisoners. Actually, it reduces a uh, lot of uh, stresses, a lot of burden uh, to the uh, uh, officers in the criminal justice system. Right. It's a very, very wonderful system that we should uh, think of. Right. Now, I'm going to stop you only, unfortunately, because time's running out on this, because there's a lot of this. But I want to go back to David again. Now, if someone was wanting to, in a political sense, mobilize lawyers and the legal profession along the lines that you've both been talking about that is to bring buddhist psychotherapy into the um, methods of the justice systems how would you go about it just very quickly david where, where would you start yeah i think 
I would start with uh, educating uh, lawyers, especially in the criminal justice system, where I think they have more scope for implementing that, uh, on the benefits of mindfulness practice. I would not necessarily call it Buddhist practice. Um, I would call it mindfulness practice, and I would highlight for people the science behind mindfulness practice, and there's a lot of study and a lot of science that's being produced on that topic lately, as Rwan could probably better tell us. And I would highlight the benefits of that mindfulness practice and uh, put that information out there for lawyers. Simple pamphlets to educate people about the practice. It's not complex, and people could try it for themselves, see the benefit. It only takes trying it, seeing the benefit, and one is going to tell others. And so that could be something that could spread uh, quite easily if someone took the initiative to begin to put that information out there. Right. We need some activism. Now, Ruan, <laughs> Ruan, what more would you like to see done by the healthcare system? Oh, actually, the, even the programs like this would have uh, uh, the listeners and uh, for the people uh, who make uh, certain decisions regarding the mental health system. So it's essential that we should uh, we need a change. And uh, as David mentioned, we don't need to call it Buddhist psychotherapy or to uh, impose certain labor. But actually, the uh, the mindfulness training and uh, also to help people to overcome their uh, day-to-day difficulties. And uh, today we live in a sort of a thriving world that uh, there are a lot of trauma uh, around us. Uh, so uh, uh, every day we, uh, we are being exposed to little T traumas and uh, big T traumas. So there should be some form of self-healing method because we cannot... Uh, every time uh, depend on medication or tablets uh, that uh, would lead to another problem. So uh, in uh, this particular psychotherapy, there are no side effects, and uh, it is a very powerful uh, mode of uh, uh, therapy. So uh, I think uh, the mental health practitioners uh, should seriously consider bringing some of the uh, modalities that have been discussed uh, uh, discussed in the uh, Buddhist psychotherapy. Now, at that point, I just want to quickly summarize by saying that both of you feel that in the healthcare system and the justice system, there's much more to be done and to advance the principles and the ideas of Buddhist psychotherapy. And you're even saying perhaps that it needn't be labeled in any particular way. I think that needs a discussion, but there's no doubt that what you've been talking about has an, an increasingly promising role in the social as well as the um, healthcare challenges in North America. So I want to say thank you to David and Ruan for sharing with us your experience, your insights, and your advice. And in the work you're both doing, I wish you every success. And if you're ever interested in getting involved in activism for the kind of things we've been talking about, I'd be pleased to give you another episode on Family Caregivers Unite. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be nurses and family caregivers caring for young people with mental health problems. Please join us same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. 
Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.